Welcome back to Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. Today, I have the privilege of hosting a show that I think might be one of the most important episodes that I'll ever create. When I think about stories that inspire and stories that bring us hope and stories that when they're shared out loud, genuinely make the world a more beautiful place, I think of Ed and Danette Baker. Now, Ed and Danette, for those of you who don't know, are a husband and wife duo, and they have worked on faculty here at Wichita State in the theater department for decades. And when I tell you that they might be two of the most beloved faculty that we've ever had on our campus, I'm not exaggerating in the least, I promise. Now, recently, Danette tragically passed away, and that rocked our campus and specifically our College of Fine Arts, I mean, to its core. And in the time since her passing, Ed has openly and and honestly shared his grief and his love for Danette with his students and his friends and colleagues. And in return, we've all shared our grief and love with him. And it's been really beautiful to watch Danette's community come together to share and support and love one another and lift Ed up as he is grieving and dealing with this passing. Now, as a setup to today's conversation, I have to tell you something about Ed Baker. He regularly goes live on Facebook with a segment that he calls Office Hours Live. So here's what he does. He just turns on his camera, he chooses a topic, whatever he's interested in for that day, and he just talks and he shares for 10, 20 minutes, however long he's feeling. And it's amazing. And he's been doing this since 2018. Now, you have to understand it, and you'll experience this here in a moment when we talk to him, but Ed is such a vibrant speaker, and he's an incredible teacher. And when you watch these office hours live, you feel like he's just sitting there on your couch next to you, and you're just having this conversation. And this part, I just have to add in. He named it Office Hours Live because he does them during his office hours when no one shows up in person, um, which as a, f- a faculty member as well, I find that really funny because we all know that so many times students just don't show up for office hours. So he has found a way to fill his time and make something awesome at the same time, which I think is cool. And he does always stay true to the office hours concept, uh, and he invites people to you know, come see him in person during his office hours for a one-on-one conversation if they would like one. You know, I said this before earlier, and I'll say it again. Ed is an incredible teacher. He's so good at connecting with students exactly where they are, and Office Hours Live is a great example of that. So with that context, he did an episode recently where he talked about storytelling and he talked about how since Danette's passing, people have come to him and they've shared so many wonderful stories with him about Danette's life and about her impact. So he tells a couple of stories in the episode and then he goes into a larger discussion about the importance of storytelling and the shared humanity that we create as a collective when we not only tell our story, but also when we listen to the stories of others. As soon as I listened to this particular episode of Office Hours Live, I felt this 
urge to to ask Ed to be a part of this podcast, to be a guest on the podcast. And I was really, really scared to ask him because I didn't want to overstep. I didn't want to offend. I didn't want to ask him to do something that he, you know, wasn't ready to do. Um, but eventually, after sitting on the idea for like about a week or so, I emailed him and I asked him if he'd be willing to join me. And he said yes. And in fact, he emphatically said yes. <laughs> so that's that's where we're at today. I'm going to first share a short clip from that Office Hours Live episode that I was referring to earlier, just so you can hear it. And then we're going to have Ed in the studio to talk about his love of story and his love of Danette. And we're just going to share about that and get to know him. And it's going to be beautiful. I am also going to link the episode of the Office Hours Live that I was talking about into the show notes page. So I'm having you listen to a small clip of it, but if you would like to watch the whole thing, then just know that there's going to be a link there. Okay, let's get started. So here's the thing. We humans, you know, we very seldom know our stories until our stories are told, because if we're doing it right, we're in our stories. We're living our lives. We don't have time to think about what the story is. We're just living. I, I find lately that uh, I am getting a chance to sort of look at my story because my story was so wrapped up in Danette's story that as people are sharing her story, I'm beginning to see a little bit of my story and it's beautiful. I was going through all these pictures and I, I came across a, a pair of photographs as I was scrolling through and I thought, now that, that was a beautiful moment. It really was. It was two pictures, one that she had taken of me and then one that I had turned and taken of her. And and they were just one right after the other in a folder in her computer. And uh, I thought, oh, that's a memory right there. That is That was beautiful. And that word's important. And I'm going to come to it in a minute. So it, it goes a little something like this. It's just a little story. Danette and I had gone down to New Orleans, as we, we did very often, and uh, we were staying at a little inn with a courtyard. And this inn was alleged to have been one of Marie Laveau's homes. One day, it was, uh, it was warm out, and the sun was in just the perfect spot to shine into the courtyard. They had a jacuzzi out there in the, uh, in the courtyard. And I had picked up a, a dime novel, a, a Pulp Fiction novel, and uh, I was in my summer professor uniform, which is cargo shorts and uh, a loud Hawaiian shirt. And Danette had changed into her bathing suit, and she was going to go sit in the jacuzzi. And as I was sitting there at the table reading my book, she was in the jacuzzi right there. And I, I was reading, and I heard her say, this is beautiful. And I said, yes, it certainly is, baby. And when I call Danette baby, I am not infantilizing her, and I'm not minimizing her. It's just our name, you know? So I said, yes, it is, baby, it's beautiful. And she said, no, this is beautiful. And I turned and I looked. And she had slipped off her bikini bathing suit 
and she was laying in the hot tub in the afternoon in the courtyard of the alleged home of Marie Laveau. And it was beautiful. Her face glowed. The sunshine was perfect. And I turned and she said, take a picture. And I took a picture and, and I looked at her and we heard the family up on the uh, gallery on the second floor with the little baby and they were coming out of the door <laughs> and Danette very, you know, wisely uh, slipped on her bathing suit top and uh, pulled a towel over her and the family came out the door. It was a small family, it was a, a young couple with a baby. And uh, the, the, the woman was carrying the baby and the man was carrying a, a baby a carrier thing that people carry babies in, you know. And they made a lot of noise, which was good, which gave us time. And uh, they came down the steps and they went out of the courtyard and, uh, you know, blissfully ignorant of the, uh, of the beautiful moment that had just occurred. And I looked and I said, well, that was close. And she said, yeah, but it was so beautiful. And she kept saying that word. And I remember that. And when I came across that picture of her face, it was so beautiful. And it was a moment in time that only two people shared. And the story would have probably never been told, except that I stumbled across a picture and it brought back a memory. And I felt like it was important to share. Be sure that you're sharing your stories when you can, people. And I am going to be prescriptive about this. Get out there and tell your stories. They're true and they're valuable and they're beautiful. And even the ones that aren't pretty, they're still beautiful if they are memories that helped make you the person that you are. I am beyond thankful to welcome Ed Baker to the show today. Ed, thank you for sharing that beautiful story about Danette that we just heard. And also thank you so much just for being here today to talk about storytelling and talk about Danette and process all of these big emotions in real time with us. It's, it's truly, it's a privilege. Yeah. I, uh, thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate it because being able to talk about my life lived experience, right? Right. Is, uh, it, it is the way it's, that's the way that I process is through living moment to moment and being present Right. right. Uh, and part of that is the sharing of story. Now, one thing I know is that to ask about your story is to also ask about Danette's story, because as you've mentioned before, they are inextricably intertwined. So just to kind of start us off today, could you do us the privilege of telling us just a little bit about your and Danette's story just to kind of get the conversation started? I don't know. If, I don't know if there is a, a short story. <laughs> That's fair. You know, <laughs> I can tell you, I can hit some highlights. Let's right? do it. Yeah. Highlight reel. There you okay. go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So in 1984, and I have to say it 1984 to make it sound oldie fashioned. Right, the 1900s. Yeah. So back in the 1900s, in 1984, I had come to Wichita State University as a student, and I was a technical director for the summer theater program. We did six shows in seven weeks. And the first musical of that season in the summer was uh, the world's worst musical ever written. It's called The Apple Tree. I've never heard of that. Act one is really awesome. Act two is less so. And act three is just horrible. However, we were all sitting in a big circle on the stage at Wilner Auditorium. And today I can point to where I sat and I can point to where Danette sat. Really? Yeah. And Linda Starkey mm-hmm. was the musical director. She was an adjunct lecturer at the time. Wow. Yeah. It's the oldie days. And uh, Linda looked over the piano and she said, Ed, do, do you have that D? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I got that D. No problem. I've got that. And I looked around the group. There are 15, 20, maybe 25 people there. And the first person I made eye contact with, I, I looked at and I went, what's a you know, shrugged my shoulders. And, uh, and this person looked at me and said, I don't know. <laughs> and that was Danette. And then we got married and we went to grad school and, uh, you know, spent some time in New York and then came home and became teachers. That's the story. That's the, that's the shortened version of the story. Would you, would you call it is, was it love at first sight? Yes. Yeah. Yes, there were, we were in college. Sure. So there were times when I was in love with her and she wasn't in love with me. And there were times when she was in love with me and I wasn't in love with her. (laughs) And then there were times that we were in love with each other and everything was beautiful. And then there were times when we didn't know how to communicate because we were dumb kids. Right. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. There was at least a, a spark. There was oh, yeah. something there yeah. at first sight. Now, one thing I want to ask you about has to do with grief processing, because I heard you say something that kind of just hit me, and I wanted to see if you would be willing to expand upon that a little bit. So uh, in that same Office Hours Live episode um, that I shared a clip from earlier, you were asking people to continue sharing their stories that they have about Danette with you. Um, And you said, you aren't going to remind me that my wife died. You're going to remind me that she lived. And that just absolutely spoke to me. I think so many times we're afraid to reach out to someone who has experienced profound grief, um, you know, because we're afraid we're not going to say the right thing. So I guess my question is, what would you what would you say about that? Can you talk about the way that story sharing with others has helped you throughout this grief journey? So I think about my loneliness every morning that I wake up alone. Right. And every night when I go to bed alone, right? In the in the in-between times during the day, I Uh, I see things and I touch things that remind me of her. And it brings me joy. And when people tell me stories, it brings me joy. There's no possible way for me to ever 
forget this hole that's in me. And when people share stories with me, it doesn't fill that hole. But it's like the way these kids wear the big things in their ears with the big holes in their ears, you know? Gauges? Gauges, that's what the kids call it, right? <laughs> so they wear the big gauges in their ears. Those holes are always there. But the, you know, the, the wound heals over. And they can put something in it, right? And I feel like that's what that hole in my heart and sometimes in my gut, I, I think that's what that's like, is when I have stories, I've got stuff going in there and it kind of heals things and it helps, it helps uh, if not make things whole, it helps to balm or to soothe that thing. I just love the way you explained that. That's so beautiful. Thank you for being so open and so honest with us. A few of the things I've heard from people are, you're so bold, you're so brave, you're so, you know, all these words. And it's really just the only way that I know how to be. You know, sharing story is, it, it's, it's fundamental to my existence. I think it's fundamental to the human existence. You know, the thing that separates us from the lower order animals is our ability to remember the past and to think about the future and to be in the present. And I think that storytelling is a lot of that being in our past and imagining our future while we're in the moment, in the present right now. Other animals don't have that. And that's, that is what I believe made that first human in a cave somewhere, put their hand on the wall and, you know, spit the red berry juice on the wall to say, I'm here. This right. is me to individualize from the pack. And uh, to want to be remembered or mark, you know, that they were there. Yeah, and yeah. Have you always, is, the, is this all something that comes very naturally to you? Or can you think of a time like in your childhood where you sort of realized the importance of stories or has it, is it just a part of who you are? I, I think it's a part of who I am. I think it's a, I don't want to, it's not genetic, you know, in the scientific sense. But it comes from uh, the culture that I was raised in. I was raised in the South, in Southern Mississippi, as far South in Mississippi as you can get without being in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a little town called Gaucher. It wasn't even a town when I was there. Really? It was unincorporated. It just had a post office, that's all, uh, and an old plantation house. Yeah, so uh, Southern culture is, uh, it's a storytelling culture and my people, my dad's people, for sure, great storytellers. And my dad was a great storyteller. It's just, it's the way I grew up. You know, it's the way, it's the way I learned how to live. So, yeah, I guess it's always been with me. I love that. And I think it makes perfect sense that you went into theater. I mean, theater is storytelling, right? So one question I have is how did the transition happened when you came back here to teach theater, you and Jeanette both. And and how did you take the storytelling that you've been doing for your whole life and put it into teaching? And how does that make you a better teacher? And how did it make Danette a better teacher? Going to college with Danette and then going to grad school for our MFAs in acting and then going on to build careers uh, in New York together 
she was always a a really good, an outstanding uh, technical performer. She had great technique, which meant that she was always able to do a repeatable performance and to fill it completely from the inside. She was always just a beauty to watch. Her work was just, it would seem just magical, right? Whereas I have always been a, an instinctive and instinctual performer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm technically proficient, but I'm not as technically brilliant as she was. That's not how I am in the world. Right. Uh, I'm pretty imperfect and I embrace that. So as a teacher, Danette was able, always able to teach anybody to do anything as an actor because she had a firm grasp on technique and she knew what she did and she knew what worked and she could teach anybody to act. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, when I grow up, I just want to be the kind of teacher Danette was. I'm, I'm a little bit looser and freer and, uh, and more, more from the gut and the heart where she was more from the brain and the heart. Okay. So maybe Um, more, intuitive for you yeah yeah that makes sense yeah that would be a good word yeah that's interesting i've never thought about those two kind of approaches um but i can see how because i think of myself as kind of more intuitive i think um but consistency is an issue there so being able to do it technically and replicate that i can see how that served her well in the theater world as a performer and then continued to serve her as an instructor as well yes. as a professor rather. Yes. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I can do it. I just don't like to do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you've had to uh, work at it maybe a little more yeah. than she yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. So, so what about um, something that I feel like I have noticed from knowing students who have been taught by you and by Danette is that the, the, the common thread I hear is that students just feel really um, comfortable and heard and seen by you guys. And I wonder when we think about stories, you know, telling your stories is one half of it, but then being able to listen to other stories is just as important. So what, what part or what role does that play in your teaching of being able to hear the stories of your students and be in whatever it is that they're going through with them? as a professor, right? Which is much bigger than merely teaching. Right. It's, it's a whole sort of constellation of jobs that fit into professoring. As a professor, I feel like if I'm doing my job the same way today that I was five years ago, then I'm not, uh, I'm not fully serving my students. I'm not fully serving myself and I'm not fully serving the, the university or the art form, I'm, I'm just not giving it everything I can. So I change very often how I teach, how I administer, how I serve my colleagues, how I serve my students. If I'm not meeting my students where they are, then I'm just an old dude at the front of the room. <laughs> and there are plenty of old dudes in the front of the room out there. I would much rather listen to them, hear their stories, 
understand where they're coming from and where they are and meet them in the middle and help them learn to be better designers, better technologists, better actors, better whatever they are. I just want to help them learn to be better at it. I love that. I want to mention something that you told me uh, because I found it to be profound and honestly kind of convicting. Um, So after Danette had passed, I emailed you, as I'm sure lots and lots of other people did, because I, I wanted to tell you a couple of stories that I had about Danette, right? And you thanked me for sending the email, and then you asked me to do you a favor, and you said, and I think that this is exactly how you wrote it. I'm going to read it from my notes. You said, find somebody that hits you the same way that Danette did. Somebody that you know is making a positive difference in students' lives and experiences. Seek them out and tell them what you see them doing. Let them know that you see their good work now while they can hear it and enjoy it. So this is a question that I have asked myself over and over again since you emailed me that. And I'm curious to know what your answer is because I don't know that I've found mine yet. But why do you think it is that we don't do this more often? Why why do we consistently wait until someone has passed to share all of these beautiful stories with them? So here is here, here's the thing that I say. I think that we go through life, all of us, all humans in the Western world, especially in the United States and in, in America, I think we all go through life thinking that we have to do good and to have to succeed and we have to be better today than we were yesterday. And I think that puts a lot of tension on us, right? A lot of pressure. And part of that pressure and tension, I think, sort of suppresses the freedom that we can have just to walk up to somebody and say, you're doing a great job. And you should be proud of it. Not everybody is going out and making a podcast about storytelling. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. We have a friend who lives in Chicago. And we would see each other a few times a year. And we'd talk and we'd hang out. And we'd one thing and another. And before Danette had died, but after she'd gone into hospice, this person sent a beautiful elegy for powerful women working in support of powerful women. And I thought Danette would never have imagined herself that way because nobody ever told her that. As a powerful woman? Right. Wow. Right. Uh, she. Uh, I think, no, I don't think. I know for a fact. We were together for 35 years. So I think I can speak for her. Yeah. She saw herself as trying to be a powerful woman in the arts. She didn't see herself as having gotten there or being there or having achieved. And she had. Yeah, I think most of us would agree with that. Right? Yeah. So in the same way that probably people don't say thank you for making a podcast about storytelling... People didn't just walk up to Danette and say, you're a powerful woman fighting for powerful women in the arts. Thank you for that. Until it was too late. Right. She was in a coma. Now, every single text, message, Facebook message, post, Twitter, 
twice, twice to <laughs> email every every single thing that came into my phone or to hers. And we were in the hospital there. I read everything to her. She was in a coma. But, uh, yeah, I read everything to her, every single thing. I honestly, our nurse said, you should always be talking. Anything you want to say, you say it. Because the hearing doesn't stop until the heart stops. Really? That's what she said. Wow. So I, I read everything to her. Uh, I read poems and posts and, yeah. So I hope, I think, I think that she got to hear those things. But really, too late. Yeah. We have to go out today and tell people how we feel about them. Sometimes that's not going to be the best because some people I don't feel perfectly positive about. True. I should probably let them know that, right? Then we can talk about some anything that's come between us. And I should talk to all of those people about the things that I see them do that is making a difference in the world that they may just consider to be their job because that's the way a lot of us think about that stuff. I'm just doing my job. Yeah. Yeah, but the work that you're doing is important. It's valuable. It has meaning in the world. Well, and you also said, um, you know, like, it's hard for us to see our stories because we are making them, right? We're in it. So to have somebody come and tell you what they see from their perspective and to, to tell you your story back to you, can be very powerful and is different than the way we could ever see it ourselves. So I don't know. I was very convicted by that. And when, you know, getting that email back from you going, yeah, why, why didn't I, and why don't I? So, so get ready. I'm telling everybody now how awesome they are. Excellent. There you go. <laughs> I hadn't thought about telling people, you know, the not so good things I thought, but you know, maybe I should tell them those too. There are, there are things that I don't tell people. You know, I have a friend, who, who, who said this to me, uh, and it is, is, if it is something that they can fix right now, tell them about it. If it's not something they can fix right now, like, Ed, you have a receding hairline. <laughs> I know, why? Why do you have to tell me that? <laughs> I can't fix that. Ed, your hair is sticking up and it looks like a cockatoo. Oh, thank you, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll comb it down. Right. That's something I can fix, right? So in, in 10 seconds, if they can't fix it in 10 seconds, don't, don't just blurt it out. If it's somebody that you love and you care about and you see that they're doing something destructive to themselves or to your relationship, talk about it. Right. Tell you what, you don't get 35 years married without doing some hard work. And some of it's super hard. You just got to do the work, that's all. And part of that work is not just sharing each other's story like together in that sort of balled up way that we get involved, that we become part of each other's lives. It's also uh, sharing responsibility for those stories together. So if you, if you were to say, to, to sum up how, how you got 35 years of successful marriage, um, what, what would you say? I mean, to so I've been married almost 12 years now, so, so we're on our way. We're not there. Um, but let's say to newlyweds. I'm sure you've been to your share of weddings, having been a professor. You know, your students probably get married as they leave. You know, So what do you say to them when people say, how can I be like you and Danette? When we would go to weddings, and when I go to weddings, 
I will continue to go to weddings. I love weddings. My niece, who was a student here at Wichita State University, when she got married, there's a beautiful picture of Danette leaning forward, looking away, and I'm leaned over her shoulder. And that's at my niece's wedding. Every time we went to a wedding together, when they got to the part about I do, we would lean next to each other and we'd go, I do, in each other's ears. So that's one thing. You know, renewing your vows is uh, its a big deal. Maybe you have a party and invite all your friends and renew your vows. But there's also there are ways to renew your vows every day, you know. Get up and make breakfast for your partner. You're renewing your vows, right? When they're sick and you bring them the Vicks Vapo Rub, you're renewing your vows. Yeah, and when you go to a wedding together. So this picture, I guess I should have finished the story. This picture of me leaning forward over Danette's shoulder and her looking off into the distance is just in the moment when I whispered, I do, uh, into her ear. And you have that picture? I have that photograph. I yeah. love that. Gosh, you guys are so cute. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it's a commitment every day. Every, just every single day. Absolutely. As we finish up today, are there any stories or moments or any last tidbits that you would want to leave us with about your and Danette's life together? So when we got married, we were just a couple of young, dumb kids. We got married and we left off in our Datsun hatchback, whatever the car was. We drove to Cape Cod. So the reason that we went up to Cape Cod for our honeymoon was we had done Summerstock Theater up there. And there was a role available in a show that summer. So I would perform this really small role. It's the priest in one of those Shakespeare plays, you know. And I would do that, and we would get our room and board for free, and we would uh, get to stay with some friends for another week after the show, and, you know, it was just, it was really handy, uh, and a paycheck. And uh, we were were spinning our way out there. We we got got up there and did the show, uh, rehearsed the show uh, during the day, and in the evening we would spend time with friends and you know, together. And it was really beautiful. Everything was beautiful. And then Hurricane Bob blew up the coast. So for our honeymoon, I was in a play, and then there was a hurricane, and then we ended up doing the show with no air conditioning, but they got the power on the night before, the night that we opened. So we got to do the play, and uh, Danette was out front ushering. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was just a little story about, you know, uh, stuff comes up in life. I found a picture the other day. You know, when something like this happens, you start going through pictures looking for, uh, you start going through everything because there's so much paperwork and stuff to do. And I found a picture of the two of us huddled together on the front stoop of this theater uh, that we were at and looking scared. And on the back was written, this is in the olden days, you know, when you took a picture and you took the film and got it developed. (laughs) Right. And on the back was written, Hurricane Bob, what a honeymoon. That's crazy. That's a memory for sure. Right. So that was that. 
Oh, yeah. And then there was a not so great part of that memory. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So on the way. The hurricane. uh, The hurricane was really not that bad. I've been in worse. Hurricane Frederick in 1979. Uh, It was not a bad hurricane. Uh, So after we finished up the play and got the theater shut down, it was the last show of the season, got the theater shut down and everything, spent another week with some friends up there. And as we were driving home, we were going to go by Niagara Falls because, you know, Niagara Falls and honeymoons, well, that just goes together. (laughs) And we had been driving all day. Danette had not learned about driving with me. I don't stop. Oh. We get in the car and we go. And if you need to stop, you need to say, I need to stop at the next gas station. After 35 years, we figured it out, you know, and we got pretty (laughs) good at driving together. So we're wheeling our way through upstate New York. We got to Niagara Falls. It was late at night. We could see the falls in the light. It was great. Next day, we get a hotel. Next day, we get up and we go out and we're walking around the falls. And it's the afternoon. And we had eaten a little bit of the continental breakfast at the hotel. And then we went back to our room. And then we packed our stuff. And, you know, we all the... And we went to the falls and we were walking around in the afternoon in August. And it was hot. And Danette was dehydrated. And she twisted her ankle. Oh, no. And she was, like I said, she was dehydrated. And she was sort of fainty from the pain in the ankle. And I, I picked her up and I carried her uh, up to a, a bench. And I said, so, so how are you doing? And she said, I'm hot. My foot hurts. I need some water and some food. And I said, well, you're going to have to walk to the car then because it's not like I'm going to carry you. And her face went white and she started crying. Oh, no. And I realized that I had just said the worst thing I could possibly say to another person. And that person was the love of my life. And I started crying, and we were both crying, and I was kneeling in front of her, sitting on a bench, and people were like walking by going, because they think that I'm proposing to her, and they don't realize. So it's actually our honeymoon. (laughs) It's our honeymoon. I'm not proposing. I didn't say anything. I did, however. I was much younger, and I I was fairly strong. So I scooped her up. And I started carrying her back to the parking lot to where the car was parked. And she said, you really don't have to carry me, but thank you. And I set her down and she limped to the car and I and I kept my arm around her. And that was, so a lot of people, that, that, that was the rest of the story of the honeymoon. So a lot of people would go, that's the most beautiful story. But we were in the story. Right. It wasn't beautiful for us. Right. I'd I'd done a terrible thing. I I felt terrible. That's a look back once you know the ending. Yeah. But when you're in it, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I get Uh, that. And I think a lot of stories are like that, you know? Probably most stories. And I think it's probably why we don't tell them as much. Yeah. You know, because you almost need distance to appreciate things sometimes, I guess. Well, Ed, 
Thank you so much for coming over today. Thank you for spending time with us. I really, really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm glad to have been here, and I'm glad to have brought Danette here. Uh, and I know that if she were here, she would be grateful too. Thank you. And thank you also to all of you listening at home. This has been such a special episode, and I would love to invite those of you who knew Danette Baker to share a story about her, if you'd like. Um, I have a link in the show notes page that lets you leave voice messages. So what I would love to do is collect stories about Danette's life and then give those voice messages to Ed as a thank you for sharing his heart with us on this podcast. So if you're interested in sharing, please, please do. The website is speakpipe.com slash create space. And again, I'll, I also have that link directly in the show notes page. So um, I would love for you to engage with us uh, in that way. Thanks again for joining us today on create space and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.